This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Saturday, July 28, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. As the federal government continues its crackdown on the free flow of information between sex workers and their clients, it's worth taking stock of just how much better legal sex work is for workers, for customers, and the broader public. Alice Little is a legal sex worker and sex educator in Nevada. We talked about the effort to shut down legal sex work there and the broader debate earlier this month. How long has uh, prostitution been legal in Nevada? Prostitution has been legal in Nevada since 1972. It is an interesting series of laws that declare prostitution legal, but it's by a county basis rather than a statewide overview. And so it's hard to really put your finger on the exact moment in which prostitution truly became legal in Nevada because that exact moment kind of depends on the exact county that you're talking about. Oh, okay. So it, it's uh, the state essentially has local option on prostitution then? Correct. Back during the 70s, a series of guidelines were drafted to kind of give counties a way to determine if their location was suitable for legal prostitution and a legal brothel. One of those things at the time involved the population, which again changed depending how the town grew over time. And a lot of these laws, of course, are incredibly dated and written during a time in which the thoughts and opinions regarding legal sex work were a little bit more limited and conservative. All right. So um, there is an effort. Uh, I don't know how effective it is. Maybe you can tell me about that to go ahead and just get rid of it in Nevada. And, you know, f for all of uh, the uh, connotation that goes along with uh, prostitution, it seems like uh, it has operated in Nevada fairly um, scandal-free for a very long time. That is absolutely correct. We have not had any legal issues within the legal brothel system, be it my location or other locations. What this group, known as No Little Girl, is trying to do is conflate data from Backpage, which is an illegal independent escort website, with what's happening within the legal prostitution in Nevada. The data just simply doesn't make sense because it's not about us. We don't have any of those problems that they're discussing in regards to Backpage. Okay, so now Backpage is... Uh illegal just by virtue of the fact that new federal laws have come on the books that prohibit certain kinds of uh, advertising. Uh, it's been promoted under the guise of stopping human trafficking or dealing with that. But do you sense that uh, sex workers uh, throughout the United States are put more at risk by virtue of this law? When I look at the numbers, they really speak for themselves. How many lives have been saved from human sex trafficking versus how many sex workers have been murdered, killed, or are currently missing after FOSTA became law? The reality is this law has killed more people than it has saved, and it will continue to kill, and I expect that number to unfortunately increase as time goes on. 
Tell me about this group, No Little Girl. So this group, No Little Girl, it is a pack working in conjunction with a nonprofit known as Awaken that's located in Reno. Awaken is a nonprofit group that seeks to support street-based sex workers, of which absolutely do need support and care. However, they refuse to acknowledge the fact that legal consensual prostitution exists within Nevada. And as such, they believe that we need saving, that we are unable to choose what it is we want to do with our bodies. And instead, they need to kind of step in and tell us what should be done and advocate for us without even speaking to us about what we would like done in the first place. What this petition has done is pass around a form within the church system seeking people to sign based off of their faith and their conservative views regarding sex and sex work. Unfortunately, those people haven't had the opportunity to learn the benefits of legal sex work in Nevada, and as such, they really don't understand the very issue that they're about to sign their name on. What they've essentially done now is created a noose that hangs over my head and the head of everybody else within this legal system in which we can't plan for the future. How can I invest or plan or choose how to further my career, which is perfectly legal, because somebody has chosen to now attempt to make it illegal without any reason. There's nothing that's happened. There's been nothing to justify this attempt. There's been no violence, no reports, no sex trafficking. So I can't understand why in the world do they want to tell me what I can do with my body? All right. So let, let's take some of these issues in turn because the, the people who oppose uh, legal prostitution, uh, I think, argue that it is prostitution itself is exploitative and uh, that the people involved in it, uh, if they had other options, would choose those options. So can, so can we take those in turn? What do you feel exploited, for one? Not in the slightest. I am somebody that could work in just about any field, and I have worked in a number of different fields. I've been an EMT, I've been a jockey, I've been a massage therapist, I've been a sex educator, and now I choose to be a legal sex worker. When you look at exploitation and how it relates to prostitution, you have to be willing to divide the illegal world separate from the legal world. In the illegal world, unfortunately, there is a level of exploitation that does undeniably happen there. But when you turn around and look at the legal system, the laws and the legislation that are in place in Nevada protect me from that kind of exploitation. For example, I have the right to say no to any client at any point in time for any reason that I choose. I will never be forced to see somebody or do something that I don't want to do. That doesn't sound very coercive or exploitative to me. That sounds, if anything, pretty feminist, where I have full control over what's happening and I have the full decision over my body and my actions. Uh, going back to FOSTA for a minute, this was 
legislation that has forced a lot of websites that have forums to essentially shut them down. Um, I think Craigslist was one that shut down its personal ads because there were advertisements for uh, put up there by sex workers and people uh, seeking sex workers. Um, so what is the state of that law in the court right now? Well, just recently, here on June 28th, the Woodhull Freedom Foundation has filed a lawsuit challenging FOSTA. And this is something I'm incredibly excited about because what FOSTA has done is create this super dangerous, awful situation in which sex workers who previously were able to vet and verify their clients online are instead being forced to a street level of sex work, which kind of removes some of those safety procedures we previously were able to do. One of the other really interesting things about FOSTA is that it hasn't just hurt sex workers. There's another demographic of professionals that have been hurt by FOSTA that really aren't being talked about. And those are professional massage therapists. It's interesting, but Craigslist, when they chose to remove the personal section, additionally removed the avenue available to massage therapists to advertise their services. Apparently, a number of independent sex workers switched over to that section on Craigslist and were using it to advertise their services. And instead of making a distinction between the two, instead we see this sweeping policy of, well, I guess no more massage therapists on Craigslist. I look at so they're all just they're all just being lumped together then. Absolutely, and that's what's happening with the legal sex work world and the illegal sex work world. As we're using a very broad paintbrush to just broad stroke across these issues, which really need to be discussed on a case by case matter. You can't use statistics for independent illegal prostitution, which of course is going to have a violent aspect to it, and conflate that to my job in which. The most violent thing that's ever happened to me was a spider crawled into the room unexpectedly and I hit my panic button to make somebody else deal with it because I didn't want to. That's it. That's that's it. That's the only thing that has happened. It's such an incredible and wonderful environment within the legal world. And additionally, it's a much needed industry. When you choose to remove this industry, you're taking away a service that I believe is incredibly valuable to America. Can you help us understand sort of the economics of uh, sex work? Because I've, I've heard you describe uh, how you uh, get paid, you pay rent at the Bunny Ranch where you work. And um, so can you walk, walk me through what is that actually, how does that function? And, and what's and what's and and one of the one of the data points that you point to a lot is that you were the highest booking courtesan for two years. That is correct. Yes. Okay. And so and so that that seems to be a relevant uh, figure or a relevant metric for uh, success in the field. But how does it work? So how it works. Let's just say, and we'll start this from the standpoint of a new lady entering the industry for the first time. First, you have to pay for your own way to the bunny ranch. The ranch isn't going to cover the cost of your transportation or your flight. That's something that you need to do because we want to see that the ladies 
choose to come to our location to work. Once you're at the ranch, you then choose to visit the doctor and pay, of course, that fee out of your own pocket. For a new lady, that's to the tune of around $150, depending on which county you are in. This includes a blood test as well as a swab to make sure that everybody who's going to be working within the industry is clear of any STDs or STIs. After they get their doctor's results back, they still are not able to actually work at the brothel. Their next visit is then to the sheriff's office to obtain their legal working girl card. Because this is a legal system, we actually have to fill out and complete a background check in order to work at the ranch because we want to know who is working for us and make sure that we are only bringing in people that, again, want to be there consensually. After she then pays the sheriff fee, she is then free and clear and able to then return to the ranch, set up and decorate her room, and begin working at the ranch. How that works is there's two different ways in which a lady may meet a client. The first way is through a lineup. That is where somebody walks in the door that doesn't have a plan with a particular lady and instead simply wants to meet everyone who is available. The ladies come out, stand in a line, introduce themselves by name, and then they're able to go with the client and have a private conversation about what their encounter may look like. If things work out, they then head to the booking office, which cancels the transaction. If things don't work out, the gentleman is just returned to the bar, and he then has the option to meet with another lady. As you can see, it's a system that's really set up to enable us to succeed. The second way in which a lady may meet a client is through appointment. And as the number one lady in my particular industry, this is how I do all of my business. I'm available only by appointment. So what that looks like is people sending me emails in advance where we have a conversation, get to know each other, likes, dislikes, hobbies, and we kind of talk about what they're hoping to get out of their encounter. After that, we're able to keep in touch for the weeks or months leading up to our actual date. And then when they arrive at the ranch, we go over the details and, as you say, the rest is history. All right. So uh, what? there are certain benefits there that are not available to sex workers who are operating illegally. That is correct. The f- and so, so what are what are some of the the key differences from your perspective that that would that make you think? Well, you know, it's it's in a sense the wild west if you're a sex worker operating. Uh, in a place where it is illegal. So if you are an independent sex worker, the first challenge you face is what do you do with your money? You're probably getting paid in cash and you're going to have a real difficulty being able to put that money in the bank. As a legal sex worker, of course, we pay taxes. And so our income is perfectly legal and I'm able to use any Nevada state bank that I so choose and I get paid in the form of either cash or check and I'm able to put that right in the bank no problem. That also means that I get the benefit of the entire financial system. I have a credit card, I'm able to obtain mortgages, I'm able to do financing and of course that's incredibly beneficial to anyone wanting to plan ahead for long-term success. 
Also, I'm able to become an LLC as a legal entity. So I do have protection. And through that, I'm able to garner benefits for myself, such as I'm able to pay for my own medical care, establish my own 401k, etc., etc. Other benefits of legalization and choosing to work in the legal system, it's safe. I honestly oftentimes forget that there is a risk in the industry because that risk isn't real within the legal world. My clients are some of the most incredible, wonderful, kind, giving, and supportive individuals that I know. And I say individuals because it's not just men. I do see women, couples, trans individuals. I get the luxury of spending time with the most incredible diversity of people from around the globe. I certainly say that's a benefit too. I feel like every time I get to have an encounter with somebody new, I learn a little bit something from their life experience that I'm able to incorporate into my own life. We may not include this next part, but I'll <clears throat> I'll ask it anyway. Um, you mentioned uh, being able to use banks that are chartered in the state of Nevada. Have you or uh, the Bunny Ranch or uh, people that you work with, have they been targeted by uh, what's been known as Operation Choke Point? Operation Choke Point hasn't necessarily affected us directly yet. The reason why I specified that I use a Nevada-based bank is because we're talking about something that is legal only at a state level. Much in the same way that the medical marijuana industry at this time is unable to use national level banks, so too sex workers have the same concerns. Banks, unfortunately, are not able to guarantee the money of accounts associated with state-based legal activities because that federal level protections, unfortunately, just don't apply. With that said, I've not necessarily had any difficulties using any Nevada credit unions, local banks. I've not encountered any issues yet. And that's the key word here is yet. Same thing with FOSTA and SESTA. So far, I still have my Twitter account. I've got 40,000 followers on Twitter, almost 20,000 followers on Instagram. And as you can imagine, as someone who's available by appointment only, I draw a lot from that to be able to connect with my clients. That hasn't hurt me yet, but I wake up every day and the first thing I do is roll over, grab my cell phone, and make sure that I still have access to my accounts. Because at this point, nothing is promised. The national government doesn't recognize my industry as existing. They'll happily take my tax money, don't get me wrong there. Oh, God knows, I paid six figures in taxes this year, but they won't recognize me, and that's really unfortunate. It's one of the things that I really hope to see in the coming years as these discussions become more and more at the forefront. If we're going to be talking about FOSTA, we have to be talking about legal prostitution as well. We exist in this country, and I believe we have a place. So to the extent that uh, you know the feds don't recognize uh, your right to participate in your industry, the state of Nevada does, 
which is the same for uh, medical marijuana or recreational marijuana, or in, in other states, it might be gun dealers who are uh, strongly encouraged not to get bank accounts, uh, or, or banks are strongly encouraged not to provide uh, bank accounts or banking services. Does this create uh, sort of fellow travelers with your industry, people who are supportive of your effort, because in some ways it's also their effort? Absolutely. There is a very unique bond between the marijuana industry and the legal prostitution industry in the sense that we are both misunderstood. Many of what I call the um, front-facing workers, us folks that interact with people on a day-to-day -day basis, we oftentimes have conversations about how we don't feel like we just perform our job, but we additionally fulfill the role as advocate and educator. Not only is our job to, say, do our job, but it's to teach people about what it is that we do, what it is that we're offering, and how it is beneficial. Alice Little is a legal sex worker and sex educator in Nevada. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 